Psalm 4. We are just progressing right along through the book of Psalms. And we are in Psalm 4 tonight. Just a very short little psalm. Psalm 4, give everybody a chance to turn to it. We'll read all eight verses. As we talked about last week, some of these psalms have what we would call a a superscription. That is a a little uh, description of what the psalm is about. And you'll see those in your Bible. And A lot of times they're in italic or they may be in bold. Or or, or usually it's right before uh, the psalm itself. Some Bibles have them, some Bibles don't. And we talked about last week that there's no real way to know for sure if those were in the original text or not. Uh, but I like that they're in there, and so we, as we go through Psalm, we'll we'll read these and we'll uh, we'll go with what they say, or at least I will. And if you have a different view, that's okay. Uh, but uh, Psalm four is for the choir director with stringed instruments, a Davidic psalm. So most of these psalms would have been like hymns. A lot of time we read through them, uh, but really uh, when we see the psalms in the text, we need to realize that many of them, if not most of them, were probably saying at some point in time. Uh, it might have been saying at a certain feast or, or certain situations. It might have been uh, uh, sung by a congregation, much like what we just did. And so a lot of these psalms were probably meant to be sung. And the superscription here says that this is for the choir director. So in our case, it would have been uh, Jennings, uh, the choir director with stringed instruments. So uh, this was to be a song led by a director and to be uh, sung along with stringed instruments. And uh, that could be many different things. There are lots of stringed instruments. The guitar is a stringed instrument. Even the piano is a stringed instrument. There are strings all in there. And so uh, we we did exactly what this superscription to this psalm said uh, tonight, and we do it every time we get together. And so, uh, with that said, that's kind of an introduction to uh, an idea of kind of what was going on, uh, how this psalm was supposed to be uh, taken back in the day. And we will pray, and then we'll read through the text. Father God, we thank you for these good words tonight, and I pray that you just let your word uh, speak through me tonight, dear Lord, that, uh, that you'd be glorified through this text. And I pray that you'd help our distractions to be done away with, dear Lord, that we won't be worried about things of this world, but for these few minutes that we can just focus on your word. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse 1. Answer me when I call, God, who vindicates me. You freed me from my affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Now, last week, we in the Psalm 3 that we looked at, uh, we talked about that David was probably, during the time that was written, was on the run from his son Absalom. Absalom was trying to overthrow David and take over the kingdom, and David was fleeing from him for quite some time. David's life was in jeopardy. There were many who had decided to side with his son Absalom uh, during the revolt, but there were those few that went with David, and so there was some tension there. And we talked about what it must have been like for David as his son Absalom and those who were against him were coming against him to have those enemies coming against him. Uh, Most of us, well, I won't say that. There may have been some of you in your life before where you've been in a situation where there were many enemies coming against you, maybe large numbers. If anyone's ever fought in war, you've definitely experienced that where there were lots of enemies who were coming against you. And David uh, was going through all those things as enemies were mocking him. And and this kind of follows along 
along the lines of what we talked about last week. Now, I don't know if this psalm was written during the same time period. I don't know if it was written after Psalm 3 in the grand scheme of things. This psalm could have been written before or after the psalm we wrote last week, but it's kind of the same mindset that the psalmist is in, that David's in here. That is that there are lots of enemies coming against him, and David is crying out to the Lord, Answer me when I call. God. Some translations would say God of my righteousness. That's probably the more accurate one. Mine just says God, but I think the more accurate uh, Hebrew there is God of my righteousness. And so David being a righteous man, uh, answer me when I call God who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, exalted men, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Selah. So he's saying that God has, has listened to him, God has heard him, God has freed him from his affliction in the first verse. And then in the second verse, it's as if he's talking to those who are coming against him, those exalted men, those who have power, they're coming against him. And he's asking a question that may be a good question for us to read and ask ourselves, and that is... How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Do we ever do that? Do we ever pursue things that are worthless? Now, I'm not talking about just monetarily. I'm not talking about everything I pursue is worth something. I could sell it and get that much. That ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in the grand overall scheme of things, do we ever find ourselves pursuing things that are worthless? Uh, you see that a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going through that book on Sunday mornings, and, and, and we see kind of that idea that the author of Ecclesiastes has realized that really the things of this world that we may accumulate, fame, fortune, whatever it may be, really are worthless in the grand scheme of things. The only things that matters. And the only thing that matters is, do we fear the Lord and do we serve Him? And David is calling out his enemies here with a, with a good question that's good for us to answer. Are we ever pursuing things, maybe in the past, right now, or maybe in the future? You may need to recall this first. Do we ever believe a lie? Do we ever allow the enemy to convince us of things? Maybe that we're worthless. Maybe God has called us to serve in some capacity in the church. And we say, well, I'm not good enough to do that. I could never do that. Or we say, oh, well, my little thing that I do in the church, it ain't worth nothing. All I can do is this little bitty thing. I can't do none of the cool jobs. I don't ever go to, on a mission trip or I'm not a preacher or I can't sing. All I can do is sweep the floor or all I can do is make cookies for the apartment ministry. We talked about that some Sunday, that, that every little thing we do is a big thing. It's an equal thing. There is no greater than or less than, but sometimes the enemy likes to convince us that we're too far gone in our sin that we can't get out, that God would never forgive us. Uh, maybe the enemy has convinced us, when I say the enemy, I mean Satan has convinced us that we don't need God. Maybe he's convinced some of you, maybe you hadn't given your life to Jesus Christ, he's convinced you that you don't need God, that God ain't nothing, God ain't that good. And all these different lies that the enemy begins to tell us. Maybe the enemy's told you you can't do anything to help this body. When you try to do something, you just get in the way. You just need to step back and you just need to not even do anything. And all these things are lies that the enemy tells us. Why? Because if we begin to give in to these lies, guess what happened? We begin to become ineffective for the kingdom of God. 
And we always like to make these excuses and believe these lies, but God wants us to do better than that. David asked the question, how long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Hopefully the answer to that is, if we are doing that, that the answer is, not very long, not anymore. We're going to recognize that in our life, and if we don't recognize it, just pray to the Lord and say, hey God, if that's there, help me to see it because maybe I'm missing it. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we notice things in our life, but sometimes we don't. Sometimes uh, we need God to kind of convict us a little bit and, and show us what's what so that we don't believe those lies of the enemy to get us off track. Verse 3, know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. You see, David knew that God was going to listen to him when he prayed to him, when he called out to him. And David also knew that he was set apart, that he was not like the rest of the people, that God's people are not like the ones who aren't God's people. We who are, who are Christians are set apart. We are holy. That's, that's what holy means, to be set apart. And so we are set apart when we accept Jesus Christ. We are different than the rest of the world. There's something different within us. The Holy Spirit is within us. And we need to recognize that. We need to recognize that God has done something special in our life, something that we don't deserve by giving us that salvation that belongs to Him that we saw at the end of uh, chapter 3 last week. But David recognizes that. David recognizes that he is set apart by the Lord, and he recognizes that the Lord who has set him apart, who has made him righteous, is the same Lord who has got him through these afflictions, who is getting him through the tough times that he has to face in his life. Verse 4 says, Be angry and do not sin. On your bed reflect in your heart and be still. Selah. Somebody, somebody's got a King James. What does it say in verse 4? It don't say be angry. What does it say? Stand in awe. Stand in awe. That's right. I couldn't remember. There, there, are, there are many different interpretations as to what the, the word could be there that was used in the Hebrew. And, and I don't really know what the best interpretation there should be. Uh, the word that's used is used many times in Hebrew, and it means different things on many different occasions. So I don't know if, if, if those verses that, that lean towards something that stands more like stand in awe are correct, or the verses uh, like this, this interpretation and some others that say uh, be angry are correct. Uh, uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. Uh, but we'll go with be angry since that's what mine says, just, uh, just because I think that will... That will be beneficial to us. I think it will give good application to us. Be angry and do not sin. Now, I hear people quote that verse sometimes, and I, I hear people use that verse to justify them being angry. Now, I think that there is a such thing as a, as a righteous anger. I think that there are times maybe where when we see someone maybe, maybe mocking the Lord or something bad going on, I think that there may be times that there may be a righteous anger. I think of the story where Jesus went in and the money changers were in the, in the temple and he saw them and he went in and he began to turn the tables over. And the text doesn't say that Jesus was angry, but when I read the text, I interpret it that maybe Jesus was angry about what was going on in the Lord's house. He said, look, you guys have made this a, 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 a den of thieves. And so Jesus being perfect, even doing that, turning over the tables, that seems like a, a sinful thing to do. But it wasn't because Jesus was perfect. And so when I think about this verse and I think about be angry and do not sin, I believe that it's possible for us to maybe be angry about something in a righteous way, but it's how we respond to our anger. 
Do we allow our anger to lead us to sin? Do we begin to judge? Do we begin to hate people in our heart? Do we begin to do all these things that are sinful because we're angry? And that's what we have to be careful of in our life. And that's what David was mentioning in this verse here. Be angry and do not sin. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Selah. Now that's good practical advice. That's say, well, the first part too, but the second part, on your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. How many times have you ever just laid in bed at night at the end of the day and just kind of reflected? Maybe there's something on your heart, something you're worried about, something you're stressed about, something you're struggling with, and you just lay in your bed and you're just thinking about it. That's, that's, what, that's what we're supposed to do. We should just take some time to kind of lay down, chill out, and reflect on our heart. Is our heart in the right place? Should I do this? Should I do that? Lord, give me some help. Give me some guidance. Give me some instruction on what you call me to do, Lord. And that's what David is saying. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Verse 5, offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. Now again, this is kind of a, verse 5 is kind of a common theme that we see uh, mentioned throughout the Bible. This idea of offering sacrifices in righteousness. That is, don't just offer sacrifices to the Lord. Don't just do things just to be doing them. Don't just put money in the offering plate so you can say you put money in the offering plate. Don't help out with some ministry just so you can say, I helped out with this ministry, but rather do things with the right heart, with the right attitude. That is, we should desire to do what God calls us to do. We should give with a willing heart, whether it's of our money or of our time or whatever it is. The sacrifices that we give are not just the, God doesn't want just the actions that we go through. We talked about King Saul a few weeks ago. And remember, or maybe you don't remember, but King Saul, uh, he, you know, he, he took all the livestock that he wasn't supposed to take, and then he said, oh, well, I did it so I can make sacrifices to the Lord. And Samuel said, God doesn't want a sacrifice. He wants a, he wants a heart that's going to do the right thing. I'm paraphrasing there, but you can go back and read it. Uh, and that's what we see that theme. We see David uh, mention that some in the Psalms, that it's not just the act that God wants us to go through. God doesn't want us just to go through the motions. God wants us to have the right heart. He wants us to seek Him and say, Hey God, is my heart right? And if it's not, help my heart to be right so that I can do what you desire for me to do. Because that's what God wants more than anything is for our attitude to be right. Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, Who can show us anything good? Look on us with favor, Lord. So here we have this idea of, of those who are probably enemies of David, and they're asking this question, who can show us anything good? It's like they're searching, and we kind of see that in the context of the next few verses. They're seeking for some joy and some comfort and some good, but they're seeking for it in all the wrong places. And David tells us in the next few verses where that joy and comfort and satisfaction come from. Verse 7, You have put more joy in my heart than they have with their grain and new wine, when their grain and new wine abound. So all of these, uh, these enemies of David, those who are against David, are saying, look, God, uh, they're, they're saying, who can show us anything good? And David's saying, God, I have found what is good, and that joy comes from you. He says, I have more joy than them if they have an abundance of all their stuff. They, they could have everything that there is, but they're not finding that joy. And the same is true for us. We can have an abundance of anything we want, whether it be possessions, whether it be money in the bank account, whether it be grandkids, whatever it may be, all of these things. But ultimately, they aren't going to give us joy. 
David recognized where that joy comes from, and it comes from the Lord and from the Lord alone. Verse 8, I will both lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. At the end of verse 5, David talks about that trust in the Lord. And at the end of or verse 8, we see David really living that out. He really does trust the Lord. David's saying kind of a similar thing to what we saw in Psalm 3. That is that, that idea of sleeping peacefully. David is so uh, just trusting in the Lord. He's not letting anything worry him. He has got a joy on him that the world couldn't give him. He knows that that comes from the Lord. He's trusting in the Lord. And he lies down and sleeps in peace. And he's, he knows that the Lord is the one who keeps him safe. And that's reassuring, or it should be reassuring for those of us who are in Christ. To know that just like David, we may have to go through those struggles, we may have to go through those hard times, but isn't it good to know that we have a God that will answer to us when we call out? That we have a God that will give us joy that we can't find anywhere else? That we have a God that we can trust? That we have a God who can keep us safe? And that's something that we should praise the Lord for. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for being a good God to us. We thank you for we thank you for the bad times, dear Lord. I know that's hard to say, but dear Lord, we sometimes we have to go through the bad times and, and it and it strengthens us and it helps us to draw near to you and but we thank you even more for the good times, dear Lord. We thank you for being with us in the bad times. We thank you for delivering us, just like you delivered David, dear Lord, just as he realized that he was your child, God. Help us to realize that we are your children, that we are set apart when we accept Jesus Christ. So help us to find the same trust, the same joy, and the same safety and comfort in you, dear Lord, that David found. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.